I'm Natalie, and I've got something to say. So we're going to talk about this passage that artist just read to us. Did a stellar job, artist. Um, so when I study the Bible, I really like to look at context, especially when a passage like this one starts off and it says, a few days later. Well, a few days later, after what? What had just happened? What's going on? Where is the story taking place at? If you look in context, right before this, Jesus had, he had been traveling around and doing some teaching. It was the beginning of his ministry. He had done a little bit of miracles. Some, he'd called the disciples. He wasn't too popular yet, but then he healed a guy of leprosy. So if you know anything about leprosy, at this point in time, it was like, if you had leprosy, you were the social outcast. Like, you could not be around people. You were kicked out of your home. You were kicked out of the city. All this stuff. But Jesus healed this guy of leprosy, and that was unheard of. There was not a cure. Like, you didn't just miraculously have, you have leprosy one day and miraculously done the next. So Jesus heals him, but then he tells him, don't tell anyone. Okay, but this is a big deal. So what does the guy do? He goes and tells everyone. Like, I healed. I was sick. I had leprosy. And now I'm healed. So all these people are going around and trying to find Jesus. These crowds are coming to him. And so Jesus is trying to, like, teach his disciples and go and pray and be with the Father. And every time he went somewhere, there are all these people. And it even says in, in the passage, it says he was trying to go to the secluded places or to the lonely places, but he couldn't get away from the crowds. And so eventually he just cuts his journey short. He says, I'm going to stop traveling, stop trying to go all these places, and just go home to Capernaum. And so that's kind of where our story picks up, what had happened. And so he goes home to Capernaum, and this story happens... And scholars believe, biblical scholars believe, that it actually happened in Peter's house. So Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He had been a fisherman, and Jesus called him, and he was following him. And so I just kind of want to set the stage, before we really get into it, of what it actually looks like. When I was growing up, and I heard this story in Sunday school, we, I don't know, this, like, I feel like I was, like, one of the last generations to do this. We had the, like, flannel boards. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And they had these, like, sticky things, the pictures that they would put up on the flannel boards. All right, those pictures, and the pictures in the, like, children's Bibles, it was like, here's this little tiny house that's maybe one room, and Jesus is right inside the door in the story, and then there's people all outside the door. So literally, because that's the picture that I saw as a kid, I've always read it that way. But then I studied it. That's not what it was. Peter's house was not a one-room house. It was likely at least three rooms, if not more. And so there would be one door going in from the street that would go into a room called the porch. And the porch would have a set of stairs that go to a flat roof. On the other side of the porch, there would be a courtyard. So like a center area that's open. Okay, there's another room on the other side of that. That's where Jesus was probably teaching based on culture and how people would be in the house. So we know from the passage when artists read it that it says there's religious teachers, the Pharisees, sitting around him. So Jesus is in this back room. There's Pharisees, religious teachers sitting around him. The rest of that room is full of people. The courtyard is full of people. The porch is full of people. And there's still people outside of the door. So this is not just, oh, there's a couple people there. 
and a lot and a lot and a lot of people. So now that we kind of can see, have a visual image of what this looks like, I want to get into talking about the characters of the story. That's primarily what we're going to talk about tonight, is these people who are, who are in the story. And I'm going to start with the four men who are carrying the map. Who are they? We don't really know. They could be brothers, cousins, neighbors, sons. Yeah. Shelby said besties. That's where I was going, girl. They were his friends, right? Like, they might have been family members. They might have had some kind of relationship, but they obviously cared for him. So I'm going to use the word friends tonight because you don't, you don't do this for someone that you don't care about, right? Like, it wasn't like they did him some small favor. They did a big thing. Why? Why did they do what they did? Now, I imagine you're in their shoes. You have a friend who's paralyzed. Don't know how it happened, if he had an accident, if he'd always been paralyzed for a long time. Um, some scholars think that he was probably actually sick and maybe on his deathbed and about to die, and that's why, like, there's this urgency. But either way, these men, they think that there's no hope for their friend. He's sick, he's maybe dying, he will never walk again. He's just, there's nothing that they can do. But then they hear about Jesus and how he healed this guy of leprosy, which was also a hopeless situation. And they wonder, well, if he could do that, maybe he could help our friend. And so they're hearing chatter about this guy, about Jesus. He's in all these different places, and they don't think they can get to him. And then all of a sudden, he's back in Capernaum. He's in Peter's house. And they're like, we can do that. We can get our friend to Peter's house. It's not, it's not that hard. Who knows how far they actually walked, how long they carried him for, what the train was like, what they had to do to even get to the house. But they get there. And there's not even a way to get inside of the door because there's so many people. What would you have done? If I'm honest, there's a lot of times that I think I would have just stopped there. I mean, like the people on the side of the door. They're just hanging out there. I'm okay with just catching a glimpse of Jesus. I hope he comes past. Like, I can't, I can't fight through this crowd. This obstacle is too big. Maybe he'll walk out this way. I mean, he has to leave eventually, right? Maybe I'll get to see him. Maybe I'll get to talk to him. Maybe he'll stop and, and look at me. But not these guys. They were like, this might be an obstacle, but we need to get our friend to Jesus. So we are going to fight, and we are going to do what it takes, and we're going to come with, up with a creative solution. We're going to get through this crowd, and we're going to get to Jesus no matter what it takes. No matter how hard it is, no matter what stands in our way, we're going to get there. And I think if we're honest, we would say that we all need friends like that. If you've heard me share my story before, you know that for most of middle school and all of high school, I dealt with a very extreme sexual addiction that started in middle school as thoughts, developed into actions, high school turned into a pornography addiction. And I grew up in church. I had heard about Jesus. I heard what he could do. I heard what he had done for other people, testimony after testimony, read the Bible stories. And I was like, man, why am I stuck? Why can't, why can't I experience Jesus like that? So I'm like, man, if, if Jesus really can, like, I don't know how to get there. So maybe someone will help me. 
And I reached out to, to a mentor, a family friend, and, and said, hey, I'm struggling with my thought life in middle school. Will you help me? She called me. She said, I'm going to call you every morning and pray with you before you go to school for your thoughts. She did for a week, and then she stopped. About a year later, things had progressed, and it was even worse, and I said, I'm going to reach out to my youth pastor and his wife. I didn't even have shame to, or I didn't even have courage to look them in the eyes. I wrote him a letter and said, will you help me? They never once talked to me about it. They went and talked to my parents and then avoided me. My parents were like, you should probably stop doing this. And that was it. I didn't stop. I didn't know how. High school developed into a porn addiction. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if anything was going to be able to help me. But I was, I was desperate. So in a different youth group, reached out to a different leader. I was like, face to face this time, I really need help. She prayed with me, sent me some scriptures in the mail later that week. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with these? You know, after that, I was like, I don't, I was hopeless. I'm like, I don't think that I'm ever going to be able to experience Jesus in that way. I've seen him do it for other people, but like, is he going to do it for me? Two weeks before I left for college, I just, I was desperate. And I remember literally in my parents' living room, I was the only one home. I got down on my knees and I'm like, Jesus, you have got to help me. Like, I cannot keep going on like this. And he did. He showed up in that moment. It was good. I had this encounter with him, but I, I, I was just barely hanging on by a thread. And I'm like, I need more, Jesus. I need more to be able to keep going. This is hard. So I get to college and I meet Chi Alpha. You know, I met my best friends in Chi Alpha. And I got involved in our life groups and like, man, these girls really, really cared about me. It still took me a little bit to open up. You know, it was January before I said anything. I said something to my life group leader. This time it was different. She said, you know what? I'm gonna pray with you right now and I'm gonna hold you accountable. What's the best way for me to do that? No one had ever asked me that before. She meant it. She really did hold me accountable. And then she said, you know, I think in our next life group you should bring this up. You should say something and ask the other girls to like be part of it. That was really scary. Because like, she's the only one who ever responded well before. But I did it. God gave me the courage and I opened up a prayer request. I was like, hey, I'm struggling with this. And those girls had so much compassion. They surrounded me and they prayed for me. But it didn't just stop there. Like when it was hard and I was tempted, I could text any single one of them. And they would stop what they were doing and they would pray. Or they would be like, hey, let's go hang out right now. There were nights when I stayed in friends' dorms, slept on their floor, just so that I knew I would, I would make it through the night and not give in to sin and temptation and just break that cycle. They saw me through. No disrespect to the people earlier in my story. I admire work, youth workers. I love my parents. I appreciate that there are older, wiser people in church than us that we can look up to. But none of them saw me all the way through. All the way to Jesus. Helped me all the way through like my Kyle friends did. And them seeing me all the way through, man. Just like these four guys who said, we're not going to go part way. Get a little bit there. But went all the way. So, we all need friends like this. And we all know people who need Jesus like this. Right? Maybe we can see that they're broken. Maybe they told us that they're hurting, that they want to know Jesus. 
Maybe we've even tried to share Jesus with them. We've said a little bit, or we're like, you know, I'm just going to bring them to the places where Jesus is. We invite them to Chi Alpha worship, to life group, to our church, just to hang out with other Christian friends. And they're like, well, maybe they can just see a glimpse of who Jesus is. And that's great. There's a place for that. But do we stop there? Like the people who are just hanging out at the door, thinking maybe, maybe I'll see Jesus. Are we like, if I just get my friends to go somewhere with me, that's enough and I don't have to do more? Is that our thought? Because here's the truth. Being in the place where Jesus was, was not enough to heal the paralyzed man. He had to have an encounter with Jesus himself. Yes, church is great. Kyle is great. Life group is great. And they are all important in our walks with Jesus. But they're not enough on their own. It's not just showing up here and, and sitting for a little bit and hearing me talk and then leaving that's going to do anything for you. It's Jesus. He's the one that we have to encounter. And we want our friends to experience healing. We want our friends to have change. Then we need to be able to take them all the way to Jesus and willing. Willing to see them all the way through. And that's risky, right? It costs us something. Think about Peter. Do you think when Jesus came over to his house that day, he was expecting a hole in his roof? And was it a tiny hole, y'all? No, like, they lowered a whole mat with a whole man on it. Like, this is a big hole. And, like, I'm sure it was messy. I'm sure there was, like, mud and stones and straw. I don't, you know, like, lots of stuff. And it's fallen. And it, I'm sure it made a mess. Someone had to clean that up. Someone had to repair it. Not to mention the guys and the own sacrifice that they made to go out of their way into the physical labor and just the, even the, the mental capacity that goes into doing something like this. There was risk. But it was worth it. Why? Because God was glorified and someone came into right relationship with God that day. This guy, his sins were forgiven. And he was good with God. That's worth whatever risk it take, happens, whatever risk we have to do, whatever inconveniences us for other people to know Jesus is worth it. Not us tonight. Are you willing to be inconvenienced for the gospel? So your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, the people who live across the hall from you in your dorm can encounter Jesus the same way you have. Are you willing to give up a few cups of coffee a month so that you can give money to missions? Are you willing to clean your dorm room well enough that you can host your life group there once a week? Are you willing to sit down next to someone new in class and start a conversation because maybe they just need a friend? Are you willing to do the hard things so people can know Jesus? So primarily I want to talk about those guys tonight. Those four friends of the paralyzed man. But I have to mention the paralyzed man himself. He's sick, hurt, maybe dying. Who knows how he felt when his friends came and got him? He might not have been into it, but he didn't have any choice. Like, he couldn't move, he couldn't do anything. He was along for the ride. Maybe he was into it. Maybe he's like, yeah, I have hope. I'm going to go meet this guy. Maybe things will be different. Either way, he was broken. He had a need. And maybe this is you. Maybe you relate more to him in this story right now. You're hurting. You're broken. You have heard and seen what Jesus has done for other people. 
And you're like, man, I just want to experience him like that because I never have. Or I have, but it's been a while and I need him in this area right now. Maybe you relate to my story. And you're like, man, I want to experience Jesus, but I need help getting there. And I don't feel like anyone has invested in me in the long haul to take me all the way. If that's you tonight, man, I believe so strongly that Jesus wants to meet you here tonight and not just now. I believe he wants to do something tonight. He wants to bring healing tonight. He wants to bring wholeness tonight, restoration tonight. And he wants to equip you with friends, real friends who are going to see you through. So just hang with me a minute longer because there's one more person in this story we have to talk about. And that's Jesus. Y'all, Jesus is the center of the story. This story is about him. It's not about a sick guy. It's not about some friends. Without Jesus, the story would not have happened. It would not have mattered that the guy was sick. It would not have mattered that the friends really cared about him if Jesus wasn't there. He is the center. It is him. He is the one that heals. He's the one that makes the lame walk. He's the one who gives life and always responds appropriately. He's the only one who can forgive our sins. He's the only one who can restore hearts and bring victory. He's the only way to God. Jesus is the reason that this story is written. And Jesus isn't some quick fix-it guy. He saw past the obvious need. This guy couldn't walk. He was on a mat being lowered from the roof. And what, what does Jesus say to him? He told him what he really needed. He saw past the obvious need, looked right with the, at the guy's heart, and said, your sins are forgiven. So the first time, well, maybe not the first time I read this, but when I was studying this, I wondered what the guy's reaction to that was. I was like, maybe he's annoyed. And I thought, maybe, maybe his friends were annoyed. Like, we did all of this, and you're not even telling him he's healed? But I don't think the guy was, because Jesus doesn't just say our sins are forgiven unless he sees the condition of our heart. So I think this guy literally was laying before Jesus and was had a repentant heart, a heart that said, man, I need God, and I'm broken, and I'm lost, and not just physically, but my spirit. And Jesus saw that. He saw past the outward right into his heart and responded to it. I felt, I feel like that guy, he just felt the love of Jesus in that moment. Maybe it didn't even matter that God, that Jesus hadn't said, oh, you're healed. Like, it didn't matter if it was going to happen or not, because he was right with God. I don't know. I, maybe I'm supposing a little bit, but being in right relationship with God was way more important than him being healed. And I think he knew that. It was the best gift ever, because it didn't matter what happened now. If he was sick on his deathbed, he was dying, he was going to be with God for eternity. And beyond that, he didn't have to keep working, he didn't have to keep striving, he didn't have to keep wondering, am I good enough? Because he knew he wasn't, but Jesus was. And Jesus saw that. Jesus saw that it wasn't about just the healing. Yeah, the healing was important. And he did heal him. Because that's how awesome Jesus is. He goes over and beyond. He does more than what we need. But he saw the need and he responded to it. And that, that is the primary reason why it matters. That we take our friends all the way to Jesus. And we walk with them through the hard things. 
and we don't quit and we don't stop because it's Jesus. We think we know what they need and we can give them advice until we're blue in the face, but it means nothing. Jesus knows what they need. Sometimes we have good advice. Sometimes Jesus is trying to do something else. Jesus is the center of this story. He's the reason. And I just want to say tonight, I want to give a clear, clear description of what happened here. When God said, when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, he was saying that there is nothing standing between me and you anymore. And each one of us has the opportunity to hear that from Jesus. You see, there's, there's something. Our sin, our mistakes, the fact that we're human and we don't live perfect. Every single one of us. That stands between us and God. It has. It always has. For us personally. And God said, I don't like that. And so he sent Jesus. And Jesus came and lived on this earth. He lived a sinless life. Didn't make a single mistake. Fully God, fully human. Beyond our understanding. He died on a cross. Three days later, came back to life. So that we could be in relationship with God. So we could stop trusting ourselves and the things that we do. We can stop wondering if we're good enough. If we keep doing it and we keep trying, like maybe, maybe it'll be enough. No, it won't. But we can look at Jesus and we can say, man, I'm going to trust what you did. I'm going to trust that when you died on the cross, it was for me and you love me enough to take that punishment. I deserve death because I'm sinful. But I trust you. And now I'm in right relationship with God because it stops being about me and what I can do and about what Jesus did. I don't know many of us have done that. We know that God has forgiven our sins. We've said, we've said that God, we're transferring our trust to Jesus, to you, what Jesus did on the cross, and from ourselves. It's not about me anymore. I'm not going to try to earn it. I'm just going to trust what you've done. But I don't know what we all have. And so I'm going to give an opportunity tonight to consider that. Matt's going to come and turn on some music. Um, and tonight, it's going to be a little bit different. I know often when we we give times to respond to things like this, we bow our heads, close our eyes. We're not going to do that tonight. Because we just talked about the importance of friends. And if there's things going on in our life, whether it's we want to be in right relationship with God, we've never transferred our trust from ourselves to Jesus and what he did on the cross, and we want to do that and start a relationship with God or restart a relationship with God. Or there's other things, and we're like, man, I'm broken, and I need something. I need Jesus to show up, and I need to have an encounter with him. Like, what good is it? How are our friends going to help us if we all close our eyes and bow our heads? So tonight, we're, I'm just going to ask you to be bold. And if that's you, we're going to respond to each of those individually. Um, 
I'm kind of I'm taking a minute because I'm, I just I want to give time for you to to consider being bold and taking that risk and saying you know that's me and I'm in one of those places. So if there's anyone here tonight and you're like, man, I'm not in right relationship with God. I'm not trusting Jesus for my salvation. I'm trying to earn it. Or I've just walked away and I need to come back. If that's you, will you raise your hand tonight? Anyone? Who says that? Thanks. We can put them down. Is there anyone else in here who says, man, I really related to what you said about that paralyzed man. I'm broken and I'm hurting and I need an encounter with Jesus. I just need him to show up and do something. Whether you already raised your hand or not, if that's you, can you raise your hand? Thank you all. Thank you for being honest. So what I'm going to ask now is those people that raised their hands, for any of those, if you would stand. And we're going to come and we're going to be a community. We're going to surround these people. So I'm going to say let's keep it girls with girls and guys with guys. Um, And I would like, if you're sitting here, please do this. Like be like those four guys. Don't just sit in your seat. If you need to be a few feet away because you're worried, that's okay. Like, I get it if you're concerned about COVID. But let's let's do this. So come, girls with girls, guys with guys, find someone and give them a moment to share what's really going on so you can pray for them. And we're going to go from there.